Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we are joined by the Stephen Rudolph. Good afternoon, good morning to you, sir. Hi, Pete, how are you? Wonderful, wonderful. Great to have you on the show all the way from the other side of the Atlantic. So um, yeah, so just to give our listeners a bit of background. So in 1989, while pursuing a career in music, in New York, Stephen Rudolph took up a part-time teaching job to make ends meet. In his first class, he had an epiphany, that he had an innate capacity to teach. Though he had no formal training, it was as if he already knew how to do it. This, this realization, sorry, excuse me one sec, this realization uh, led him on to a 21-year quest to India where he uncovered 5,000-year-old secrets of self-understanding and achieving one's potential. He later found that the same discoveries made by ancients about human natures were consistent with what more modern neuroscientists had, had to say about the brain functions. Stephen has crafted those principles into an easy-to-use, enjoyable program, Feed Your Tigers. Stephen lives in, in Cambodia, where he serves as CEO of multi, uh, multiple um, Nature's International and explores how ancient Eastern wisdom can help people and their tigers become more aligned. Wow, Stephen, that's beautiful. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. So tell us, where are you calling us for, for today then? Yeah, I, I'm in Cambodia. You said the other side of the Atlantic, but it's only true if you just keep going around the world uh, another another half turn. So I yeah, I am in Cambodia, although I'm originally from the States. Um my my wife happens to be Khmer. We met in Europe, and then we landed up here. That's a longer story, but uh, that's where we hang out right now. And you uh, are truly global, then, as a family. We are truly global, and we have one thing in common: we both have three daughters. So, yeah, there, there you, you go. go. Yeah, I love it. I just love a two-year-old two just uh, is our youngest. And so, oh wow! Yeah. yeah, that's that's fun. <laughs> it's a lot of work, right? <laughs> Young kids. Oh, I'll tell you. <laughs> keeps me young tell us i mean first of all what what's what does fire in the belly mean to you Stephen? what is fire in the belly well i really love this analogy pete um it has it has a tremendous it has tremendous implications for me from what i learned in my in my um trip to india as uh you mentioned in my my bio i was in india for 21 years and while i was there i learned about various, you know, there's a, a lot to learn about philosophy and spirituality and different practices of life and, and living. India is like a, it's like the Amazon.com of, of this sort of stuff, right? And the field of, the interesting thing I found is the field of Ayurveda, it's like what Chinese medicine is to China, Ayurveda is to India. It's this natural health science. And what they say in Ayurveda, this is so interesting, the, the entire going to love this. The entire secret to health is that you should be able to digest what you eat. That 
that is like the sum and substance of like thousands of years of wisdom. It comes down to this one point. You should be able to digest what you eat. And this is true uh, at, at a, a physical level. In other words, that like if you're eating some food and you, you don't really finish digesting it, well, it turns into toxins that wind up like going into other parts of your body. It gets stored as fat. And then the problems start to, to compound from there. Um, in the same way, there's also digestion at the psychological level. And in terms of our characters, in terms of the work that we do, in terms of our interactions, and if we, if we don't um, digest the work and the activities and the interactions that we have, we also get toxicity in our, in our minds, in our, in our psychology. So for me, the idea of fire in the belly is, of course, at that physical level. But here at the, at the psychological level, it means to have enough energy and persistence and the right, the right diet of activities that you can digest what you do. That's what fire in the belly means to me. It's, you know, and it's so, it's so amazing. You, like you brought this up and, and because, you know, one of the things, um, I've just totally forgotten his name, but he, it'll come back to me in a second. Um, you know, saying go to bed hungry. It's one of the almost the, the, the sort of the common themes for them saying, cause people don't to so go to bed hungry, but, but, you know, um, from a food perspective, from an emotional perspective, from, you know, anything else and let the body do what the body does best, as opposed to trying to cram it full of food or whatever else. Right. You know, it's, um, it's that aspect. So true, isn't it? Just let the body be what it is. Well, you, you can go in both directions, right? You can overfeed and you can underfeed. Those, those are two sides in, in the field of Ayurveda. Uh, you have something which is called, um, we, we heard this word yoga before. Yoga means to link or to connect with like the word yoke. This is actually a, a derivative that like when you have a yoke, something that that pulls like an oxen has that yoke on it, right? So yoga means to connect or to link. And when you are connected with what you do, right? When you're connected with what you do, that's actually what yoga is. When you're connected yourself to your body, to the world, to the divine, this is like the, the ultimate connection. And you can go in both directions either way. You can, you can be underlinked, you can have not enough connection, and you can have too much connection. And those are called ayoga and atiyoga. They're, they're two, you know, it's kind of like overdoing it and underdoing it. You want to find that that homeostasis right there in the middle. I mean, that's what that's what we would call it now. If it's at a biological level, we have in our bodies this, you know, when we've got the right climate, the right sort of foods that we're eating, the right sort of activities, we feel well, we feel ourselves. And that's when our body is metabolizing and we feel, that, you know, in, in this state of health. When it comes to work, right, we can underdo work we don't do enough of it. And then we feel like lethargic. We feel bored. We feel irritated. We feel like, you know, we want to, you're sort of itching from inside to, to do something, but you don't know what to do. And we can also overdo it on the other side, which is burnout. So we've got to find that space in the middle where, where and I call these tigers, like feeding your tigers, these innate drives inside of us. So we don't want to overfeed them and we certainly don't want to underfeed them we want to find that homeostasis there it is is the tiger and, and it's maybe just terminology here but i mean is is the tiger linked to the ego is it is it a version of or a part of you or what, what is it can you define it in any way 
Yeah. I, I refer to them as tigers in the plural, and it's not related to the ego. Here, what I mean by tigers, I can talk about it from both an Eastern perspective and also from a Western or modern scientific perspective. From the Eastern perspective, when we say tigers, it's referred to, well, traditionally as uh, in Sanskrit as prakriti. Prakriti means your nature, your innate nature. And you'll find in the Vedas lots of stories about um, you know, there's one, the one famous story of the Gita where there's this warrior Arjuna and he's got a nature of a warrior and he doesn't want to fight a battle because his relatives are, some of his like dear relatives, dearest relatives are on the other side and he doesn't want to have to kill them. But uh, his charioteer, who's Krishna in, in the war, tells him that, listen, your nature is a warrior and you can't like run away from this battle. You've got to fight. He's like, no, 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 you know, I'll go to like an ashram or something. I'll just like become a renunciate. And he's like, listen, you can't because that's not your nature. You're, even if you do, you'll go there for a couple of weeks. And after some time, it's just going to erupt in you. You're going to be compelled to, to fight because that's in your blood. So that's what your nature is. So we can understand the idea of a nature, which is a natural inclination, which is there within the individual. So that's described in, in the Eastern understanding. And there's different types of natures. There's people who have an educative nature that they, got, they have a natural propensity to teach or to entertain uh, or to be adventurous or to heal other people. These are all different, what I would say, like traits or qualities or natures. Now, from the, the Western perspective, we can understand tigers from the first seven years of our existence up to age seven. We are exposed to different situations. You might be, you know, you might be encouraged to play music, or you might be encouraged to draw or to do art. You might be encouraged to read or to do things with numbers and mathematics, and, or to play with animals in nature. And so, each individual, based on their environment, is going to develop certain qualities because they've done those activities again and again. And let's not forget that that underneath this, the our neocortex that we have, we still have this reptilian brain, right? So we have this need to survive, and anything that we did while we were growing up that we were exposed to that made us feel good, that helped us feel like, hey, this is good for my survival, we did that and we grew that. And so when that's happening, the brain is myelinating. So you have your neurons, and the neurons are sending electric signals. And as those signals repeat again and again, this white st sticky substance, it's like a, an insulator wraps around the neurons, and that keeps happening again and again for periods of time. So for example, if you were playing music and your parents said, Pete, that's fantastic, great work, you know, keep it up, you, your reptilian brain says, okay, when I do this, people are patting me on the back, I get status, and it's good for me, and everybody hugs me, and they kiss me, and let me keep doing this, this is good for me. So you keep doing it, you keep doing it, and then what happens is that your brain develops neural pathways that are highly insulated with myelin, and that becomes like a super conductive highway. It's like a super highway in your brain. And this myelination process stops at around seven years of age. It turns on again for a few years in, in adolescence, and then it stops again. After that, in your adulthood, myelination doesn't, it, it, if you need to myelinate, it's really hard. It's the difference between like, there it was happening so fast and easily, it would be like you're in the jungle with a machete trying to cut a path for yourself as opposed to getting super highways. You can cut a path, you know, as an adult, learn a new language, learn some kind of coding skills. So you'll work hard, but it's not going to be to the same degree as those early stage 
developments that you had. So that's what I call a na natures or tigers. And those are your superpowers. And, and they're still there right un under your hood right this very second. And some people are tapped into them and they use them in their work, et cetera. And other people are alienated from them. Uh, I mean, just it brings up for me an interesting question you know, along the lines of, you know, is it nature or nurture? Where do you sit here? Because you talk about, you know, you use the word nature and maybe I'm, I'm using the wrong context, but, you know, how much of this is learned and how much of it is pre-programmed from whatever source or whatever in you, do you think? If you look at the research, it's you're gonna you'll be able to prove from different research that it's any of the above. Some people will say that it's all hardwired, and other people are gonna tell you that no, 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 it's purely environmental. I I look at it like this: it doesn't really matter because you've got the nature that you've got right now, and so it's it becomes more of an intellectual discussion or debate to a debate to go back to to figure it out. My guess is that it's probably some of both. There's there's some pre-wiring that's in there, but certainly we know that the environment plays a, a massive role. Like when you're in those early years and you're doing those activities in the first seven years of existence, um, it's so it's probably something like this, that you're predisposed to develop certain qualities based on your genetics and if you are exposed to that. So for instance, if your parents had it, uh, or one of your parents had that musical thing or a, a visual thing for drawing or art or something like that, then, and you're exposed to it and you're encouraged to do that, then you'll probably develop that faster than others. So I would say that that's probably somewhere along those lines. But again, I get, le I'm a little bit personally less, in less interested in that and much more interested in what do you got right now? Because whatever it is that you have, that nature is not going to change. And, and Pete, I have to tell you, this is something really controversial and people don't like to hear this. People would rather, what, I get this question a lot. People are like, hey, can I change my nature? And I look at them and I say, well, basically, no, you can't. And like, what do you mean I can't? You can't tell me I can't. Well, coming back to the, these, the neurochemical processes, that myelination process just doesn't happen again. It's not to say that you can't like, develop and you can't use your brain to, you know, the brain is neuroplastic. And if you spend a lot of time and energy, you can develop new skills and new abilities, but it's never going to be the same like it was when you were a kid. And so what I'm really interested in is finding out what your super highways are of, con of conductivity in your brain, or what I call your tigers, your natures or your tigers. And then when you know them, activate them, link them to what it is that you're doing and get your potential going, like take it places rather than just contemplating about, you know, like, should I change it? And why am I stuck with this? And where did it come from? Let's get it on, you know, let's start fulfilling your potential. Don't waste time. I mean, where's the split then? So, I mean, I, I, I assume that your value sets, your core, your ethos of uh, how you operate day to day, subconsciously, et cetera, is all sort of on really sort of, you know, that's your nature, right? And there's some of the stuff that's surface level stuff that can change behaviors, et cetera. But all the rest of it is the pure nature. And as you say, you are who you are genetically, whatever way, et cetera, that's unchangeable, right? Am I right in saying that or have I? Uh, well, there are, there are like a couple of things in here which I would want to pick apart so we can be really precise. The first thing you said was about values. And so values has to do with what is beneficial for you individually and what might be beneficial for the, the environment or for others. Society. In the Indian literature, it's explained really clearly 
And listeners are going to have to, to create this graph in their mind, but it's not a difficult one. If you have an x-axis going from left to right, and you've got a y-axis, which is going down, so we've got like four quadrants. And so if you imagine that the y-axis going up and down, this is the degree to which you are connected to your natural abilities. So for instance, one of my big tigers is my educative tiger, if you haven't figured that out which is that I love to teach and I love to explain and I love to you know, help people understand, understand things. And my entertaining tiger is also on the fairly big side. So I can be dramatic in the way that I speak and, and whatnot. So those are two of my big tigers. So when I'm in a situation like I'm in right now, where I'm talking and there's a little bit of, of entertainment also happening, I'm on fire. And so you can say that I'm a lot, my tigers are aligned with the work that I'm doing right now. Those neural pathways that developed when I was really young are, are in effect right now. So that's like the vertical axis. If I were in another situation where I were sort of stuck in a room by myself, I don't have somebody to talk to and I can't really be teaching them something, then I'm going to be on the, the negative side of that, of that graph on the bottom side. So I'm going to be feeling like alone, disconnected, frustrated, unhappy, and whatnot. Let's go back up to the top of that graph again, right? So then you have the X quadrant and like the, the positive quadrant and the negative quadrant. So in the positive quadrant, that means that I'm, do, I'm using this education for a positive purpose. I'm helping people understand themselves so they could live better lives. So that would be like, you know, going on the, on the X axis into the, the positive direction. But I could also be doing something like, you know, in the opposite direction. I could be like on the silk, this, like a silk route uh, website and teaching people how to, you know, hack into other people's accounts and to hold, hold their computers ransom and blah, 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 something like that. So I could be educating people in a way that is destructive or antisocial. And we see people like that, you know, you take an example like Bernie Madoff. He was somebody who was highly connected, his, his entrepreneurial tiger, his logical tiger, tigers were, were absolutely aligned with the kind of work that he was doing. But he was in the wrong quadrant because his values were misaligned, right? So that's what's going on. And so the first thing that I wanted to pick apart with what you said was about values. So our values um, have nothing to do with the tigers. The tigers can be either used for the benefit of society and ourselves or against. And so that's, that can change. People have had a turnaround, a change of heart. And that's actually something that can change. But the tigers themselves know. Like, Bernie Madoff is always still going to have those those things rolling in his head for as long as he he remains alive. So so th those qualities are not going to change, but values can change. So that's the first thing that I wanted to mention. The second thing I wanted to say is that it's not that nothing can change. You you can still develop, but it's kind of like if you imagine that your tigers are like a tr a tree, the the trunk of a tree, or in the very big branches, you still will develop smaller branches like and leaves. That's what happens in your adult years when you fill in the gaps and you learn stuff. Just so you can have like a, a comparison of what it means to have tigers and what drives you versus that extra knowledge that you read a book about, you know, um, be heard to be rich. I see that in your background there, right? So if you've read that book and you've learned some things about that, well, that's, those are some leaves that you've kind of put onto your, your tree. They're embellishments. And it's important. It's not that you you shouldn't just take what you have. You do need to continue to grow and develop. It's you know I love that analogy and, and it's sort of it, it's it's sort of leading me on here. And if I'm understanding this correctly, it's almost saying it's this is why you know saying it's more important to to work with what you have within than to almost to go out and 
you know, trying to change yourself from the outside, if I'm understanding this. So learn about your superpowers, learn about your nature, learn about who you are as a person, whatever, and just expose all that as opposed to, yeah, let's, let's learn something different. <laughs> it's like, that's maybe not going to help. That's, that's more stuff to, to process, right? I mean, I wouldn't want people to think something like, oh, I'm not naturally good at that, so I should just avoid it. I, I shouldn't even look at that. That, that. I don't agree with that because, you know, even sometimes like, okay, like in, in sports, sometimes the goalie has to come out of the, the goal for a power play, right? And has to come downfield because, but that's not what the goalie was really meant to do. But sometimes there, we've got to rely on other qualities, which might not be the strongest or the biggest qualities to, um, you know, to be activated. So it's important to be versatile and to be in touch with all aspects of yourself. But what you're saying, I believe what you're saying is right, which is for the most part, rather than trying to become someone we're not, and being specific, rather than trying to acquire um, uh, these tigers or these superpowers that, that you don't have naturally in your adult life, because it's futile, you can't do it anyway. So rather than try to futilely uh, attempt to do that, better that you stick with what those natural qualities are that you have and embellish and embellish. So, so do stay open to growth and to trying new things. It'll keep you fresh and it'll keep you young. I mean, for, for you, how, how well would you say you understand your, your you know, I suppose your, your true natures, that your, your superpowers, if you like, I mean, how, how far along in your journey are you? Yeah, I understand them quite well. And for me, the important thing that I would say the thing that I've gotten better at is managing to create environments which enable me to feed all the tigers. Or I might say another way for me to be balanced. I can anticipate going into situations. Let's just say that there's a new project that's coming up that I need to work on. So I can already foresee which areas are going to be naturally, um, which will fit my natural abilities more easily and where I'm going to face problems. So one of my tigers that's not a big one is my administrative. And another one is my logical. So I'm not as great with numbers and I'm not as organized and great in, in delegating responsibilities. I can do it, but for me, those aren't those superpowers. Those are like you know, those hacked um, you know, pathways that I've worked on over years and years of reading books about how to develop habits and how to use, um, you know, uh, how to prioritize and so on. So it's, it's, it's learned through a lot of pain. So when I go into a project and I know that there's going to be a lot of administrative stuff, I immediately within our team say, look, you have to keep me on track. I need for you to keep these things and to check in with me and make sure I'm doing things because I'm going to forget. And I'm going to get busy in doing what I do, which is teaching and explaining and creating and um, some of those kind of things in, in my courses and working with people. And so I already know ahead of time to have other people fill in the blanks or to support me where my tigers aren't nearly as as big. So that's what I, I've become good at doing. So that allows me to, to stay more balanced. And the second thing I would say is I can detect much more readily better than much better than before that when I have tigers that are underfed or overfed, like it's kind of like a, you know, the frog in the pot story, right? So sometimes you have a, a tiger that's not getting fed. And for me, it's my musical. And, you know, I'll just show you here. Like this is, this is what I do. I keep this on my desk, my, my, my little keyboard. 
I have my, my musical tiger, my creative tiger, and they want to eat all the time. And they, they, they have a voracious appetite. And so sometimes I feel this itch or something that's going on. And I suddenly realize that uh -huh, it's, I have to do something musical. And I will stop my work and I might play for 20 minutes and it totally recharges my batteries as opposed to, you know, if I'm not paying attention to it, I might wind up like going for another coffee that I don't need uh, or eating some chocolate or, you know, doing some mindless surfing because I'm feeling frustrated. And so I can tune in much better to the, um, the those hungry tigers and I can figure out a way to feed them instead of doing things that are unhealthy or not not valuable for me for my usage of time. So that, you know, that sort of symptomatic behavior is useful to try and understand the cause, you know, to try and understand, as you say, that the nature of the tiger, you know, that particular, actually this, this is good for you or it's not good for you, but this is something your true nature and, and something only your tigers loves to do. Right. So if you don't feed it, as you say, you're going to get frustration, you're going to get, you know, sort of side effects, et cetera, in your life because it's not being it's not being tapped or touched or or felt. So it's 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 an untapped resource, right? Yeah. And coming back to the fire in the belly concept. So what's happening there is that there's there's not enough food in the belly. There's too much fire. There's too much fire in the belly. You know, when when you're hungry, what what's going on? Your stomach, you have ketosis, right? The stomach starts to like eat itself because there's nothing in it. And so that's what's going on is that the stomach is basically saying psychologically here, right? It's basically saying like, feed me music, feed me creativity, feed me music, feed me creativity, and you're not. And so that gurgling is going on and then it's, it becomes, um, uh, it starts to eat away at you. And here I'm talking about eating away at you psychologically. And when something eats away at us psychologically, we each have our own pet ways of Stim of either stimulating or tranquilizing that pain. And as I said, for some people, it's, you know, caffeine, nicotine, stimulants, pills, cigarettes, vaping, alcohol. And it can even go into areas like, well, diversion, watching, you know, mindless cat videos or whatever they might be. It could also go into retail therapy. So buying stuff that you don't need. And even another one, this is surprising. Most people don't even realize this one. Playing social status games in politics. Because you're feeling frustrated in your situation right now. So you're, what's going on at this point? This is really cool. We're talking about like, you know, metabolizing and whatnot. So when, when your brain sees some work that you enjoy, right? Dopamine is released. So if you know that, like... You, you love to have guests on your show. And so a new guest shows up. So you're looking forward to it. Dopamine is being released for you at that time. Like, I'm going to have this conversation you're looking for. You get into the conversation and that's a happy chemical for you. Then when, let's just say that you're, you're talking in that and somebody's complimenting you. Someone, oh, Pete, you're a fantastic host and you have great guests on your show. So you start to feel good. Your brain's releasing serotonin. That's like the status thing that makes you feel good, right? And then people want to be around you. So, well, okay, if they're physically around you, they'll pat you on the back, they'll give you a hug, they want to call you, they want to talk to you, oxytocin is being released. So these are all happy chemicals. Dr. Loretta Bruning talks about these, my, uh, your happy chemicals. Um, and your brain is releasing these when your tigers are engaged, you're doing things that, that you love to do and you're getting status. So if you're hungry, 
or you're burnt out and your, your tigers are not getting fed properly, in order to compensate any of those chemicals, any of the, you know, caffeine or chocolate, they're actually artificially stimulating those chemicals in your brain. And even things like playing status games, hey, did you hear about Bob? No, what? You know, he's a, really? Yeah. So that person starts to feel good about themselves for denigrating Bob and serotonin starts to release in their brain. So they're actually triggering those happy chemicals in their brain. So these are the weird things that we do in order to help us stave the, the in this case, like where there's too much fire in the belly. That's, that's what we're actually doing to, um, to circumvent that. It's really weird. And most people spend much of their day giving themselves little artificial hits to get their happy chemicals moving between their coffee and then some, you know, a, a donut and then a status game and then going shopping on Amazon. And then instead of linking your tigers to the work that you're doing, feeling good about it and just being involved in that. And that's why the people who quote unquote succeed, like when we talk about, we look at people, oh my God, that person's success. They love what they do. They enjoy their work. They're, they, maybe they have some level of fame. They're earning good money doing it. That's because they are in a constant state of, in most cases, um, of getting happy chemicals from the activities and the work that they're doing. Isn't it fascinating? Like that's, you know, and it might be something that you're doing or it might be something you're not doing, right? And uh, how, talk to us then about how, obviously, you, you've really sort of been going through this for quite some time. And how did then come about to you to see these patterns, to see this sort of reflecting in your own life and maybe in the lives of others? How did that aspect come about and, and sort of ultimately lead you to, to where you are today? You mean, how did I discover the tigers? Yeah, yeah. So, so going back to my, my, my trip to India. So when I got to, um, when I got to India, um, I opened up a school and the idea of the school was to, that every child should know who they were. And the reason that that happened was because I was originally trying to be a rock star and I wasn't making any money and I had to get a part-time job. I got this job as a teacher to pay my bills and I fell in love with teaching. I was like, oh my God, this is what I was meant to do. And I got indignant because I was like, how is it possible that 18 years of formal education and I never knew this about myself, that I had this like innate propensity to teach. And so, you know, I thought, okay, 22 years old, young, idealistic. I'm like, I'm going to open up a school in my school. Every kid's going to know who they are and blah, blah, blah. So one of my friends who was in India at the time, he's, he's like, hey, don't open up your school there in New York. Come, come to India and open it up here. So a few years went by and I did my, my you know, preparation for it. And I, I got to India and I made this school. And the first day, um, grades, kindergarten through three, eight children, three teachers. And the school was in our house with me and my friends, we didn't have enough money to like buy a building or, or anything like that. And my, my goal was to get them to understand who they were. And one of the tools that I used to understand their natural abilities was Howard Gardner's framework of what's, what's called multiple intelligencies. In 1983, um, Howard Gardner, cognitive psychologist at Harvard, came out and said, hey, listen, there's something more than IQ. It, it's not only how smart you are, it's how you're smart. And by this, he meant that you could be smart, not just with like, you know, logic and language, but you could also be smart with your body, like sports, 
people, people who are really great with athletics. You could be smart with nature, you know, look at a, a Jane Goodall. You could be smart with um, visual things, so drawing, painting, and, and artistic things, smart with music. You could be smart with self-reflection. So he was asking this question of, you know, how can you be, you know, or at least saying that it's not how smart you are, but how, how you can be smart, right? How you're smart. And so I like that model very much because it enabled me to see the differences in my children, that some were really into, you know, their, their linguistic ability was strong and others were very good with artistic things. And they were all different that way. I liked it. But what that model didn't tell me was like, why did I love teaching so much? Where does that come from? And why is like somebody who I was looking at at the time so, so administrative and organized? And how come that person's so entrepreneurial and successful? And so I started to look at other qualities. And that's when I began to explore some of the traditional Indian literature. One of my friends was, um, thankfully, a, um, luckily, a PhD in Sanskrit. So he was able to unlock some of these you know, ancient books and taught me what the, the people from days of yore had to say about this. And we have to listen to what they said, because this is like thousands of years of people watching, learning, distilling wisdom and passing down what's the most important thing. And they talk quite a bit about this saying that, yeah, there are some people who are more educative and some are more healing by nature. They love to help people out of pain. And some people are more protective and some are more um, adventurous. And so that's how I identified what I call the multiple natures. So Gardner has a multiple intelligencies and I've identified these as multiple natures. So those are I can just run through them straight, protective, educative, administrative, creative, healing, entertaining, providing, entrepreneurial, and adventurous. So those are the nine natures that I, so here's where the cool part comes in. This, this, this was the novelty. Well, that was the first novelty was looking at Gardner's intelligences. And then my coming up with the natures, because they're different. Like your, your intelligences are how you manifest or how you express yourself through a particular medium. In other words, you express yourself through your body, through dance or through movement. You can express yourself through words, through language. You can express yourself through visuals. You can express yourself through music. You can express yourself through uh, self-reflection or interpersonally with other people. So these, these are like me, means of expression or of, of interaction. The natures are more like tendencies of how you direct your energy. In other words, a tendency to protect. It's a social function. So I have a tendency to prevent harm, loss, injury, wrongdoing, mistakes. And you, you've seen people like that, the people who walk around and like, hey, don't throw that on the floor there. Or they say, hey, I found a mistake in your website over here. You've spelled it wrong over here. Or, hey, can you believe this is happening to so-and-so? We have to start a change.org petition and I'm starting and we're going to go to a rally. Blah, blah, blah. So there's some people who are more protective by nature. There's some people who are more educated, like you've seen it with me, like I'm on fire. There's fire in my belly right now, right? So I'm, I'm metabolizing this educative thing as, as this is the food that I'm, I'm gorging on right now, right? So now you can see what happens between them. This is a really good, this is where the fireworks come in. If somebody's got a, a, a big protective tiger, they love to protect and they express their protection through their body. 
They have a, a massive bodily tiger also. Like they're very athletic. Protecting, protecting through the body. I want to protect through my body. Well, that person's going to be inclined to go into law enforcement or the police or become a bodyguard or become um, a firefighter, right? So that's how that happens. But let's say that that person is not really endowed with great physicality, like they're not necessarily, the, you know, a natural sports person, but their linguistic is really powerful and they love to protect. So it's like protect through language, protect through language. Well, you could become a great lawyer. You could be a social activist, right? So that protective thing is going to find its way through. It's going to manifest in the world through language, or it could be protective plus naturalistic. So you start to get this like really rich array of how the natures can manifest themselves through, through um, your, your natural ability. So that's how I married the two, my nature's framework together with Gardner's framework. And, uh, it, and you can just keep going on and on like that. I can basically take any type of work and define it with these qualities in a very three-dimensional manner like this. Does it make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. And, and, and the, I mean, the, the categories that you've picked up there is, is that's, is that something I suppose that's came naturally or is this, you know, is this something that obviously you found the best way to interpret this if I, you know, if I've understood yeah. it correctly. I, I had to read through the lines. I read through a lot of um, books there. Like um, I looked in the Gita. I looked in, there's one called Manus Smriti, which is like one of the first treatises. You know, they say that, okay, God sort of, Manu was the first human on earth and God passed to him some kind of a, you know, treatise about how men should, and people should uh, operate on earth. And it talked about the different types of people in society, that there's there are different types of, of work that need to be accomplished uh, and so on and so forth. And so you see the qualities of people come out in those. Like there are some people who need to teach. There's some people who need to administrate. There's some people who need to keep law and order. There's some people who need to heal. There are some who, right? So those qualities, I read through the lines and I, I basically um, uh, distilled from, uh, from those scriptures. And so that's how I came up with those, with those, partic those nine particular ones. That's great, and and as you said, it it does cover, you know. I suppose we're we're all a a a form of that. But would you expect to see a certain, you know, main single main bias or multiple main bias in in some of those in those fields? Then I mean, is there a typical way when somebody's actually uh, filling out and and sort of undertaking the tests? What you would expect to see? So what's interesting about that, I did, I've done about 200,000 tests so far with, uh, we have our, our multiple natures tests. So this will enable you to figure out the, of these 19 abilities, these 19 abilities and tendencies that I call tigers, um, we rank them on a scale of one to 10 in terms of their size. And when I've taken the most I did, I think at one time, I did an analysis of about 50,000 at one time. And when I did that, I put them on a graph. And what I saw was it made a normal curve in terms of the variation of the types of, of the degrees of the tigers. In other words, there were some people who had really even tigers. You know, it would be like six, 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 six out of 10 for all of them. They were, they were very similar. It was like there were no really big tigers and no really small tigers. So I would say that that person is what's called a multi-potentialite that their potentials are like all really even. 
And on the other end of the spectrum, you have people who are specificists. They have like, they have a lot of differentiation. Some are like a 10 and some are like a two, you know? So there's like a huge amount of differentiation in there in the size of their tigers. And then you have everything in the middle. And so it actually forms a normal curve in terms of how differentiated people are. So, so if I'm answering your question correctly, um, it's not that there's a particular one that any that 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 you know people have. It's really spread out, uh, and, and uh, until and unless like you did something like if I went to an art school and I run the test with them, then you find like pretty much everybody's visual and creative is like on the higher side. Or if I, you know, do it with a bunch of lawyers, you'll find that there's more protective and more linguistic and because you would need those qualities to be effective in those areas. But if it's done on, an, on a, you know, when we've done it looking at a broad spectrum, uh, it's, it's absolutely normal in terms of the, the amount of differentiation of people's, people's profiles. Well, two aspects of this question. I mean, you know, say for example, I don't know, you, my father was a, a lawyer, for example. Um, you know, part of my sort of, I suppose, reward system would be seeing a version of that. I assume that, you know, that's something that, you know, I've seen him get on well with. It's been his career. It's, you know, who it is. So how, how do you how do you do a litmus test on, on a nature? I, I accept that the nature is probably that's, it's who you are, but how do you make sure that it's pure and it's it's not, Sort of watered down or or biased by your environment or things that go on around you or whatever yeah that that's a really good question the first thing i want to point out is and by the way uh, my dad my dad is also is also a lawyer um so so uh we have that in common as well so um so the first thing to to keep in mind here is just because somebody is in a particular profession doesn't mean they necessarily have that nature as a tiger or a superpower. So in other words, just because someone is a teacher doesn't mean that they have a, a big educative tiger, or just because somebody is a doctor doesn't mean they have a big healing tiger. And we've all been there before where you're with a doctor and you're like, oh, this doctor doesn't give a damn about me. You just feel it. Or just because somebody's a server in a restaurant doesn't mean they have a providing nature. And that you see all the time. I mean, it's like, ah, it's like this person's so rude. And so um, that's a, the first thing that I, I want to point out is that the, the career that a person's in doesn't make the tiger necessarily. What it might do is it might create leaves on the tree because they're in that space. Uh, in case they, they don't have a super tiger, you know, a big tiger there, they still might develop that. If somebody's a manager for many years, even if they're not administrative by nature, they will develop some managerial capacity, but it's not going, it'll never, never be the same. So, so the first thing that I want to point out is that that protective thing is there by the time you're seven. And how it develops, you know, there are circumstances because maybe you had a younger sibling that you had to take care of, or there was, you know, some sort of situation, maybe it could be abuse in the family and you had to protect one of the siblings. There are many different situations that can occur. They could be positive or negative that would incline a person to develop uh, for those tigers to develop positively or negatively. But when we look for those tigers, like in the assessment or when our practitioners, uh, the people who, who I've trained and who work with me, when we look for those qualities, we don't talk about 
specifics of a of a career, we talk about the, the protective nature itself. So we might ask questions that, you know, if you saw, um, if you were in a, a taxi or, you know, in an Uber or something like that, and you saw that the driver wasn't wearing a seatbelt, would you say something? Or if there was a heated conflict going on between two strangers, would you step in to break it up? Now, somebody who has a really big creative, uh, excuse me, really big protective tiger, they would. They wouldn't be able to stop themselves from doing that because it's a, it's a, a super highway. Don't forget that. When they see that situation, there's the fire in the belly right there. That's the food that they consume. That's the lion seeing the gazelle. Lion sees the gazelle, the lion's going to pounce on the gazelle. That's dopamine hit right there. So I see two people having a heated argument. The first thing I do is, got to go over there and break that thing up. That's what's going on. If you have a small tiger, you're not thinking that at all. But afterwards, maybe when it's broken up, you might say, hmm, maybe I can go over and to explain, explain to that person why it's not such a good idea to do it. So that might be the educative tiger after the protective guy did his thing. You might go over there to try to talk some sense into them. So just giving you an idea how it takes place. And the, the questions are, are, are quite um, neutral. We've, we've had to reduce bias and situations. So they're really very, um, what's the word? Uh, they are detached from um, very specific circumstances of like, you know, careers or things like that. I find it fascinating because I suppose myself, as a, even as a child, I mean, if, you know, something conflicting was happening around me, you know, wouldn't want anything to do with it, certainly wouldn't want to be brought to attention. Now, as an older human being, it's almost like I had my midlife crisis slash opportunity and said, I don't care what anyone else thinks. If that's wrong, it's wrong, and I'll say so. You know, so I don't know, there's almost like two parts of me have played sort of whether it's shyness, maybe that's just behavioral activity, I don't know. But, you know, when I wouldn't have said anything, I would know it was wrong, but certainly wouldn't speak up. Whereas now it's like, I have nothing to hide, I have nothing to say, but this is, that's probably, I'm probably setting more my my true nature that I, I would imagine. So one of the things that I've seen is that, and again, it's not that we can't learn skills. It's not that we can't learn skills. We certainly can develop a skill to speak up. But in some cases, you might still need to, you might understand and say inside, I don't agree with this, but then you need to push yourself to speak up a little bit. As opposed to somebody who would just come out with it straight, straight away. I'll give you a really good example of a story that I read um, on, on the web years back. It was about a woman who didn't have a very, what I would call a big interpersonal tiger. So you could say she wasn't extroverted. She was much more introverted growing up. And she wanted to overcome that. And she did all sorts of activities and things like that to enable her to be, to be more um, social. And she even went to the degree of opening up a school to teach CEOs and other uh, leaders in, in industry to network. And she had this room set up. It was like a mock interview, like a mock um, um, a cocktail hour. And there were fake cocktails on tables and stuff like that. And everybody would be scattered around. And she would walk around the room and show people how you network and how you chat up a room. So there was an interviewer there who was um, you know, watching her do this. And she went to do an interview and she saw her work the room and blah, blah, blah. And then after about a half hour, she said, okay, let's, you know, have the interview in a side room. And she went inside and she sat down on the chair and she went, and the interviewer looked at her and she's like, whoa, what, what's up with that? Why are you so exhausted? She said, you know, 
I know how to do it and I can do it and I've become good at doing it, but still it, it takes a lot out of me. So what I mean to say here is that we can learn, we can develop skills to be able to, um, to be able to do those things, to be protective or to be like administrative. Um, but it's another thing. And you'll find out, Pete, when you're under pressure or like when, when there's a shortage of time, when you're under pressure, those are the times that you'll really see where your tigers stand. Because if you've got big tigers in that moment, then you'll be very resilient. You'll bounce back. You won't lose your cool and you'll be able to handle whatever comes your way. But if you've got all the time in the world and you're sitting there and you're you know, pontificating about something and somebody says something like, you know what, I'm going to say something. So what's happening in that moment, and I don't know this for sure, but you know, this, is, this is what I'm supposing based on what it is. And we could, of course, get into much, much greater depths, but I'm trying to at least give a, 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 an, a perspective on why it's possible that somebody is displaying a particular quality when they didn't really see that in, in earlier years, okay? And, and I can give a, a, another example or another perspective on this. So if you've got all the time in the world, like if I have all the time in the world, I can be very organized and administrative. You know, I take my time. But if I'm under the gun and I have five things going on simultaneously, I lose my stuff. Like I become irascible. I'm, I'm snapping at people and I become, you know, my, my wife really knows it at that time. And, and afterwards I have to apologize to her profusely. So that's just something to keep in mind, which is that we learn those skills, but you, you'll really know when, when push comes to shove uh, where, where you stand, whether it's a big tiger or not. There's another situation that I would want to mention, which is in some cases, it might be there, but you're not aware of it. It can be there, but you might not really be that aware of it. In other words, it's sort of been going on on, the, on, the, uh, on on an undercurrent. Like in my case, I really wasn't aware of my educative nature until it's, it was there the entire time and I was doing it, but I wasn't really um, conscious of it. And, and there's a really good example of this, which is in the Atacama Desert in uh, Chile. It's the driest place on earth. There was no rain for like, you know, years and years, for decades. And then if you search for it, 2015, Atacama Desert, A-T-A, uh, C-A-M-A, Atacama Desert, there was a little bit of rain, and suddenly the whole desert turned pink. And the reason was because there were these, like, these uh, seeds for some flowers that were like just below the surface, and there was enough water to make them bloom. So if you look it up, it's just the craziest thing. It looks like somebody photoshopped this picture of the desert because it's all like fluorescent, um, like, you know, magenta. Um, and so what I want to say is sometimes it's actually there under the surface, and we're not aware of it. And like in my case, where I had this opportunity suddenly to, to teach, the whole thing lit up and it came out and it was right there under the, you know, it was kind of going on under the radar the entire time. So that's an, another situation where it might have been there, but it was never really activated. So I suppose building that and, and then understanding it, what's the benefit? What do you do with this knowledge? The way I look at it, and this is like more recently, I started to think of it more in terms of like an oracle, you know, what was the oracle, right? The oracle was, you know, this wise seer that you would consult at the time of important decisions or important changes in your life. This is one way to look at it. In other words, that when you're, let's just say a student and you have to pick your career, choose your career, that's an important point in your life, because if you get it right, and you choose the right career, and you get the right major, 
right, specific knowledge that's going to carry you through many years of your life, then you get off to a good start, you enjoy what you do, you have a good career path, and, you know, you, you earn, you get status, and all the things, you know, many of the things that you want will come to you. You'll have your ups and downs. You don't get that career choice right, and you bounce from one career to another, you start again, suddenly all the four years in the, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars you spent in your education are like kind of like water under the bridge. You're, you're, you're trying something new. This happens again and again. Suddenly you find yourself in your 40s or 50s and you're saying, whoa, um, I missed the boat and I'm really in trouble now. And I see a lot of people like this. Um, you know, the average age of people who come to workshops and courses that I do is about 48. And many people are in a situation like that. They, they made wrong career choices right from the beginning. So at a point like that, that's an ideal time for, for somebody to understand their natures and to figure out what would be the right career based on what my, or career path based on what my natures are. Another would be career transition. So when you're in one job and you're looking to take another, consult your tigers first, because sometimes you don't like a job and you say, I hate this job, I just want to get out of it. And you go into a different job and you wind up hating that one. And the reason is because the first job well, maybe it matched your tigers, but the, it was just that the boss was the wrong boss or, you know, it was a toxic environment or maybe, you know, th there could be a, a number of other factors um, or, or maybe you were just slightly in the wrong position. Maybe you were in sales, but you should have been in sales support, not in active sales, like doing cold calling. It was just a minor change and you could have just changed your, your um, profile slightly and you would have loved it and you would have totally hit it off and become successful at doing something like that. So that's why I say before taking these big decisions, one of the things you should do, and it's not the only thing, there are many things to consider um, in your life and in your balance and your career. I'm not saying the multiple natures and, and the tiger's idea is the only thing, but it's an important one. And so if you're going to make a career change, that's an important time for you to do it. Or let's just say somebody's saying, um, I want to take an entrepreneurial plunge. Should I do it or not? Should I quit my job? And then there's some people like, yeah, you just have to be passionate. You got to want it and take this course and, you know, do that. and, you know, it's a single mother with two kids uh, or three kids running two, two jobs. And someone's saying that, oh, this is not your passion. You just got to want, and they quit there. And then suddenly they burn out. It's too much for them. They don't have enough emotional and uh, energy and stamina to be able to do all that. So that's like really bad advice. So sometimes it would pay to say, to find out, do I have enough, a big, a big enough entrepreneurial tiger, a big enough administrative tiger to run a company, right? Maybe it's not that big. So maybe I could do freelancing and maybe instead of doing it as my main job, I could do it on the side. So sometimes making a decision like that is a smarter one. So you keep the balance in your life and you still get to feed your tigers. So those are all places, burnout, when you're feeling frustrated for recruitment, if you're looking to put the right people in the right places from the corporate side, that's also a place that it can work out. Um, when you're working with teams. So if you're putting teams together, you want to make sure that people are complementary. Here's one, you know, this, you know, this uh, cliche people always, they, they find somebody, they're a successful business person or whomever. And usually it's business person. They say, what's your secret? It says, Oh, you want to know the secret to my success? I surrounded myself with people who were smarter than me. Uh -huh. And it's like, Ugh, right? So we've heard that a million times. It's actually not correct. What people do when they succeed is they surround themselves with people who are complementary to them. It's kind of like soup, 
right? This is, uh, uh, this is a really great example. It's like soup. Each one of us with our tigers, if we consider like we're an ingredient in soup, right? So some person might be the water. Some people might, some, someone's like the salt. Somebody's like the, the, the vegetable. Somebody's like the, the, the vinegar or whatever it is that you're throwing in your soup. If there's too much of any one thing, it's going to spoil the soup. Too much salt, you can't, you know, too much vinegar, forget about it, right? Um, so in the same way, a person needs to be surrounded by people, other people around them that are complementary to them. So the entire environment lights up. It's not just about me with the fire in my belly. It's the fire in everybody's belly that has to be, that has to be cranking. Everybody's got to be quote unquote digesting. So if it's my family or my community or my um, organization or my team that I'm working with, we need to consider that we are not separate from our environment and that that's, it's just as important, it's equally as important for me to understand which tigers I have to take care of and feed and also help other people to feed their tigers so we can be complementary. I mean, that's a sort of a, I suppose from a corporate point of view then, if, if you can, you know, is, is it useful or is it, is it right to sort of then profile people to say, listen, let's, let's find your natural tigers, let's find your, your natural strengths, et cetera, which may or may not be news to you. Um, but then say that's that's how we position people. That's how we make sure that you're there. Because if you're passionate about what you do, then you will turn up with energy, enthusiasm, and you will, you know, something you you will gain a far. You'll get energized by it. To use to use your own word, you're energized when you when you're in that state, right? Absolutely. You know, I think there's maybe a problem with the word profile because it it can also have that negative connotation you know, profiling somebody, you say that word, it, 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 the wrong way, it can be, it can really be charged. But here, what we're talking about is aligning people. You know, what's wrong with somebody figuring out someone's, someone's tigers, their superhighways, and getting them in a type of work, which aligns those superhighways with the type of activities they're doing. So they love their work, they're good at it, everybody's praising them, they, people want to be around them, they want them on their team, they're succeeding. That's what we want. That's what we're looking for. So in my opinion, it shouldn't be something which is secretive. It shouldn't be something which is like hidden. It should be something which is which we put forward and we share with other people. So we so we we're, you know, this is the age of vulnerability and authenticity, right? So this is a time for us, you know, this just might be a, a right time or, or the right time that we can start showing up as we really are without having to put a facade on and pretend that we're something we're not. Like I, you know, the, the, the fake it till you make it thing is not, it doesn't, for me, it doesn't really work. It's not about faking anything. It's about being who you really are. For, and to do that first, you really have to know, you have to know what your tigers are, right? So, so. Um, get there quickly so you don't have to fake anything. What I find is that when I'm, when I am, oh, so here's one thing I wanna share with you. This, if we can go back to the, 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 um, the, the fire in the belly concept, what we were talking before about metabolism and, and whatnot and what I learned in India. Here's another nugget that I took away from India. This is, I would say, Pete, if there was one lesson that I got from 21 years in India, it's this one word, one word. And the word is called swasta. So swasta is a term that it's, it's made of two parts. The first part of the word swa, 
SWA SWA means self. And STA means to be situated in. So SWA, STA means to be situated in oneself. Now, what's interesting about the word is when you put those two parts together, to be situated in oneself, the literal meaning of the word swasta is healthy or health. So what this implies, this is so big, is that your state of health is not your body mass index. It's not your cholesterol level. It's not your BP. Your state of health is the degree to which you are actually situated within yourself that you're aligned with your tigers where the fire in your belly is operating at its, its optimal level. It's not, the fire is not too low, it's not too high. What you're consuming is not too much nor too little. It's the right amount for your particular, here psychologically, for your tigers. When you're in that state, you are healthy. That's what health means. And so that's what we need to be getting people to, to do. Like, that's where we should be heading. Beautiful to... to... I mean, I take it you're you're unlikely to have a midlife crisis if you are, you know, if you found your and you're working with your tigers, right? Because that's just a misalignment, which is which is so common these days, I would imagine. And you know, that's what I find with you know, I find it wonderful chatting to people with fire in their belly, but then it also begs the question, saying how many people haven't and and won't and may never, unfortunately. Oh. Yeah, I just just listening to you, I just something just hit me. Um, it's like there's two aspects to to fire in the belly that that I'm seeing right now. One is when somebody is trying to be someone they're not, and they're just pushing themselves with that fire. They're they're being passionate and they're trying to be that, and they're not giving up. And they're pushing themselves and they're pushing themselves and they're pushing themselves. Eventually, what's going to happen is they're going to get to a breaking point. They're going to have that, that crisis sooner or later because they're going to realize what I'm pushing myself to be is not who I really am. And that might come in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s, 50s. It might, it, or maybe it might not come at all for some people. It just might be something they go to the grave with. But the other side, side of fire in the belly for me is when people know what their tigers are and they've, they've aligned them with what they're doing and they're regenerative. And they're they're constantly living with that um, that that homeostasis, with that positivity, and they're constantly adapting because they're in touch with what they're they're surfing the entire time. So there's like this, that's the authentic, that's the real fire in the belly to to me. So that that's that's what I see. So that could come at any time, better sooner better sooner than later, right? It's funny because I mean the whole fire in the belly concept for me only came about. I mean now it's it's probably only maybe three three and a half four years ago, and I mean I know values are a slightly different thing, but now it's like almost my intention, my purpose, and and what I live with, and, and you know it's, it's the calmest, most serving part of me is to live with love, service, growth, and connection. They're the they're the four things that yeah, I could do that all day long, and I've doesn't it doesn't tire me it enthuses me it energizes me to do such things uh and that's been game changing very very peaceful but also energizing at the same time and in a in a wise way let's say <laughs> it feels that way 
on is, is that not what we're all trying to achieve in some ways i don't know um is that what everybody's trying to achieve maybe Probably not. I would say that different people have different purposes that they're, you know, that 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 they're they're looking for, and they have different tigers. Uh, for me, I suppose it, it's really about um, overlap and finding finding ways for us to, you know, look. There are some people who the most important thing for them is um, they might be in poverty, getting out of poverty, getting their kids uh, a good education, and that's their purpose. That's what they're heading toward, right? Um, and so it might not be as noble of a, of a purpose. Um, you know, I'm in Cambodia and I see a lot of that. Don't forget like 40, 50 years ago, there was a, um, there, there was an all out, uh, you know, civil war here and genocide going on and 20% of the population was, was exterminated. So, you know, people here are still in a process of, of survival and just reestablishing themselves. So, so I see a very a very different kind of um, situation. But at the same time, the thing that doesn't change is people's tigers. So no matter what state I see people in, um, it, it can't do you wrong no matter what situation you're in, no matter where you are or what. Like if that's your goal, which is to get your kids into college and to, you know, to, to hold a, a decent job and to save, the fastest way for you to do so is by aligning your natural abilities with with what it is that you're doing, and if you're at the level that you're at, which is at a, at a super high level of, um, of of really great realization, well, it, of course, it's it's even it's just as important to do that. So here, I talk about um, I have seven principles of tigers. We won't get into all that, but my seventh principle is to elevate your tigers. So when you find a purpose or a deep mission like you've just expressed, and you hit your tigers to that. Well, then you could really take that places. There's other people I've met that they have per they have some sort of purpose in life, they, something they want to achieve, but their tigers are not properly hitched to it, and then they don't really make the progress that they want to in that in that particular area. So they've got to they have some sort of a you know purpose or goal, but then they they're not really able to um, impact you know, to to get impact with it. That's why it's also important. Yeah, it's it's well. So I was going to say, I mean, what, why do people sometimes struggle? Um, I mean, that's not, that's not really the right question. I mean, for, for you, I mean, are you clear on your purpose? Well, just to, I'm going to give it a two-part question. Are you clear on your purpose? And if we were to take all the megadata, all the, all the data as a whole, and, and, and in your nine sectors, would we see a perfect circle that actually the population has nature divided up nicely? that there's a proportionate amount of people that's <laughs> set in each sector. If that's so it's a very wide question range there. No, but, but I can, I can, I can answer that. So this goes back to, um, if you go back to even ancient, um, like Chinese literature, like, uh, the, the Taoist, like some of the Taoist literature, uh, and, and I was giving my example before about the soup and, um, you know, and the, the different parts, the important thing is for each person to know their unique position and contribution in the world or in the community or in society or whatever it might be. Like that's what, that's, what's important. And so for, for me, I understand my role to be somebody 
who has to be a source of helping people understand their natural abilities and to align them in what it is that they do. That's the role that I'm playing. And if I play that role right, and I use my tigers the right way to do it, so how am I using my tigers the right way? So my big tigers are educative. I love to teach, so I'm explaining. That's what I'm doing here right now. Entertaining. I hope that the way that I'm explaining things is not putting listeners to sleep. I hope people are sticking with me. Creative. I like to come up with new ideas and new ways to apply it in different circumstances. Intrapersonal. So that's another tiger that de deals with self-reflection. And a fifth one for me is entrepreneurial. So I also have to find a way to bring this into the world, which sustains itself and turns into some sort of, you know, a test and some products and some training programs. So it can be brought and utilized by students and companies and things like that. But at the same time, I can't do that all. I can't do it all. So I have a business partner, for example, whose entrepreneurial tiger is way bigger than mine. And his logical is like super big. It's way bigger than mine. So he's really good with finance and identifying ways to specifically position things that, that, are, that even blow me away that I can't do. And his administrative is also not big like mine. So one of the first things he did when he joined me, he's like, listen, Stephen, we have to hire three people who are going to be our administrators and who are going to be our bosses. And when he came and he joined me, that's what we did. We had three people, each of whom had like big protective and big administrative tigers and kept the two of us on track. Otherwise, we would be going off left and right. So what I mean to say is that, um, you know, for me, my purpose is clear with what I want to achieve, at least in that domain. And, um, and not to overextend myself. Like, I don't have to be more than that. And I see that this happens sometimes with people. You see somebody that they succeed in one area, that they're really good in one particular area, and then they want to then go into another area and then become an expert in a third area and then in a fourth area. And then they've got a podcast and they're weighing in on every topic under the sun and they have to have an opinion on, on everything. So um, I really like to stay within my lane. And after that, when I get off the podcast... I go to my daughter and I play with her or I'll play some of my music or I'll do some cooking or I'll be with my wife and I'll be with my family. And I don't have any, um, I don't have any um, like delusions about having to be an expert in lots of other areas. And, and uh, it's okay just to be doing what I'm doing right here. It makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, it's, and it's, you know, as humans, we've never been so connected. We've never had so many opportunities. We've never been able to do experience so many things and feel so many things and all the rest. And it's like, at the same time, it's like, we've never been so lost as, as, as I say, we, sorry, the role we, and, and I don't mean you, but you know, it's, it's, it's that thing is going just bigger is not better here. And actually, do you know what? You don't need it all. And if we all just got to, understand ourselves understand our tigers understand what you know how we could serve impact do whatever we are sort of designed to do as such um the world would be a different place right i totally agree there's the thing that of course the that has come along with the internet and and all these various apps and stuff is that we've got a constant barrage of information people videos, things that's pulling our attention in every direction. And 
we we have this tendency to when we're watching different people and you're seeing and look in most of these videos people are are putting their best foot forward oh, okay except in the ones which are those fail videos where people are like you know falling off of chairs and and you know crashing into things I don't mean those but I mean when people are representing themselves they're they're, they're dressed they're organized they do 50 takes in order to get the right one and so we're we're watching people at their best and it's and it starts it starts to weigh in on us and we start to feel that oh my god look how perfect that person is look how nice they look look how how there's there's such an expert in that thing and i and i feel like such a loser um and so when you keep seeing all of these various people and they're succeeding look how many likes they have it it becomes very hard for 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 people and i would say especially children i, I can't even imagine what it's like for them to go through this um to to be able to get a sense of what am I going to do? Because I can't do those 20,000 different things that I'm seeing where people are succeeding all over the place. You know, I can only really do one thing really well, or like a small number of things really, really well. And so to be able to put those, um, you know, the, those not blinders, but you know what I mean, some sort of girder, something that's that's going to give me some, like I say, stay in my lane. You, the definition of an expert, what's an expert? Like somebody who's made all the mistakes there are to make within a narrow field, right? So so to be able to find my lane and to to get down with that, to get good with that, and um, to enjoy that and not have to be lusty, that I have to also do that and I have to also. So yeah, that's um, that that could be really frustrating if you've not figured out what you what your tigers are and where you want to settle yourself. It's just like, uh, you know what I call it, um, Pete? I call it um, the ice cream dilemma. Right. So it's like, you know, when you go into Baskin and Robbins, right? Baskin and Robbins 31 or any other ice cream store, right? So you go in and there's like dozens of flavors of ice cream. You're looking there and you can't make a choice. And it's what writer Barry Schwartz calls um, the tyranny of choice. And, and he says that like when you have too many, and this is scientifically proven, you know, when, when there are too many options of something to choose from, you become tyrannized, you be, it becomes so oppressive to, because the problem is that you don't want, you want to make the best choice and you don't want to make a mistake. You don't want to wind up with, with, the, with something which is not the best. And so your brain starts to go through, should we chocolate, should we vanilla, should I go for the, for the, you know, the, the butter pecan or, you know, how about the, the uh, coconut? And your brain and people are going, hey, come on, Pete, you know, just order your ice cream. And you're like, All right, coconut. It's like, oh no, what the hell did I say? And before you know it, they put the coconut on the thing. You're like, God damn it. You walk out of there. You're like, you're miserable <laughs> with that delicious coconut ice cream. So the, the same thing is there about like career choices and what we do in life. There are so many options out there. And at a certain point, Somebody's going to say, you got to pull the trigger and you have to make a choice. Go. All right. I'll, I'll choose biotech for my, my course of study. And then it's like, oh my God, I filled it out. And did I really want to do that? And oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing that. So you can't try out all of those jobs. You can't try out all of the possible options there are for you to do. Therefore, what you can do is you can figure out what's closest to your taste. So what's closest to your taste in terms of your tigers? Like for me, anything where I could do something educative or entertaining or creative, uh, you know, an intrapersonal, something which is self-reflective would be okay for me. So they could be personal workshops or personal development workshops or 
um, you know, software stuff that I make that helps people understand themselves. But if you, if, if I had to be like a manager, like, you know, where I was managing a lot of people doing something, it would just be like pulling teeth for me. So, so anyway, that's, that's the ice cream dilemma. And it also works with real ice cream, by the way. So, so um, for me, I understand that my tastes are, it has to have a vanilla base and something chocolatey in it. And as long as I know that those are like, it's, those are the options. I can eliminate all the fruity flavors and all of the, like the two chocolatey ones and the weird ones like pistachio. And, and if I pick between like, you know, Oreo, uh, you know, or like some sort of uh, chocolate chip or something that I know that I'm going to succeed with that. So the next time so you go to choose your ice cream. Does it, need to be, does it need to be smooth or lumpy or? No, I, I'm okay. As long as it's a vanilla base or something chocolatey. So, so that's how you solve the ice cream dilemma when you really go into. So the next time, if you want to really impress your friends, just eliminate all the options that don't that don't match with with what your your strongest tastes are, and just quickly choose among any of those few three that are that are there, and you'll be happy. What what? And I know you briefly sort of touched on it earlier, but I mean, is there a a natural state to put yourself into or a situation that will actually give you the the most useful feedback so i mean you know because you talked about if someone's under stress or duress or there's a time restriction or there's something and saying if i want to find out most usefully what you know where where my powers are where my tigers are and and you know what's my natural strengths you know because i know some people say listen my flow state as they might call it is up on stage i don't know what i'm going to say but yet suddenly i get like it's a genius it's just dumb i go into i go into my zone um do, do you have you tended to find anything that actually if you do this to people then you're going to get the realest version of them that's that they haven't been able to sort of hide behind or make up yeah one of the things we do is that we have not just the online assessment but we do something which is called a live assessment so with our practitioners we've made a very detailed protocol where we'll go through and interview an individual for about an hour and ask them questions on each of the tigers. So like after you've done your, your test, um, you know, let's just say that, uh, and, and we could do it right now and I'll, I'll give you an example of it. Let's talk about, um, there's, uh, something which is called, um, intrapersonal intelligence. So this is a self-reflective tendency. So on a scale of one to 10, where would you rate yourself? A good eight. Okay. And Give me an example of like, why would you say that, that you're an eight versus like, you know, five or three or something? Um, I suppose if I'm reflecting, so I'm reflecting on either mood, I'm reflecting on action, I'm reflecting on uh, status so far, both internal and out, 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 external, being myself from an external perspective and saying, you know, well, I've done what so I've done. So can you give me, can you give me examples of things that you, for, for instance, people who are, have big intrapersonal tigers, they're like, um, They'll read a lot of books on self-help or on psychology or those sort of things. They would get into conversations deeply about the way that the mind works, and um, they would be in touch with their feelings and their thoughts. Would you say that it that that's reflective of that's um, would characterize that, you? That would be yeah, yeah, that would be. So I mean, I love listening to people's language, what they're saying, what they're not saying. You know, self-development, a lot of you know, immersion, growth on that aspect. I have zero interest in news, politics, whatever, however, the, the mind, what we're saying, not saying, et cetera, I find fascinating. And, and let's go back historically. Can do you, do you, Were you like that, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago? Did you, were you reflectively? Knowingly, no. I was more, 
introverted. Uh, not as much anyway, not, not obviously, I would say. Mm-hmm. And would you say like you're like this in all situations? Like, in other words, if you were at a party, would you be this, would you also be like that? Or would you be more outgoing and would you be talking to like one or two people about something deep? Or would you want to go around and talk superficially to a lot of people? Yeah, no, I'd be in the corner quietly talking to one or two people and have a deep conversation. Mm-hmm. All right. So, I mean, what I'm doing right now is I'm asking sort of follow-up questions and I'm looking for, I'm looking for evidence. So there are ways of us doing this without me seeing you in the field, so to, so to speak, like seeing you in different sort of situations. How about something like an entertaining nature? This is a tendency to attract attention, to amuse people, to be dramatic, to, um, you know, um, in acting being on stage, um, you know, carrying an audience, that sort of thing. Scale of one to 10, where'd you put yourself? Four. Okay. And, and what, what makes you, how would you describe that? Or how would you um, characterize um, that? I, I'm, I'd be comfortable trying to either impart knowledge or educate or do something useful. So it's not about me per se. Um, but as for, yeah, I have no interest in just garnering interest or garnering um, yeah, the, this is the attention of others just for the sake of, for jokes or anything else. That's just not okay. my thing again. Okay. Right. Okay. So I'm just sort of giving you an insight into the kind of questioning that, that I would do in a live assessment, like if I were working with you and I would go in and I have like lists of questions that I would ask and I would ask for it. So this way, sometimes, you know, some people might think they say, oh yeah, I'm really entertaining and I'm very funny. Like you can kind of see that they, they're, they're not necessarily like that. And you would ask questions and after a while they'd be like, oh, okay, all right, I see what you're saying. And so we can actually go through and we can come very close to determining really reliably when we do that within about an hour. Our online test that we have is I would say highly reliable, but you know, it's also like the difference between like, you know, COVID rapid test versus, you know, what do they call PCR, PCM tests? Um, you know, where you, you, you know, go to the hospital and get it done. So, you know, there's a difference of degree of, um, of, of um, reliability and, and clarity that, that you would get. And there we can get, we can get super granular because as a trained practitioner, we know, and we know the body language to look for, and we see what the evidence is. Ultimately, the individual has to determine it themselves, but that's probably the fastest way for us to really get the, the, a very, very close and accurate um, reading of an individual within a short period of time. Barring that, I mean, you know, be, beyond that, um, it, it would be observing yourself in actual situations and checking how you feel. I've done like full one week workshops uh, where I've had people in different situations and, you know, acting it and doing activities where we, we would explore each of these in different ways. And, and I do that stuff. Of course, when COVID hit, that brought many of the the live, um, you know, events to to a standstill. But I have done that in uh, companies and retreats and things like that, where we do things where um, we'll do an activity where people have to teach each other something. And afterwards, you get a feeling for how much pleasure you had while you were teaching them something. Uh, so you would see, like, did do you really have a big uh, educative tiger? Or we a- we'll ask them to do something where they have to entertain and joke around. We see the like, okay, here's one really cool activity. We, we have the, a group of people create an advertisement together as a group, and we give them like a, a task to do. And we tell them like, you've got to make a product and uh, you've got five, we give them 20 minutes. So you have 10 minutes 
to decide what product you want to make and what it's going to be, and then to create a little advertisement around it. So you have 10 minutes to do that. And afterwards, then they have to rehearse their advertisement, be like a TV or radio or YouTube ad or something like that. And so then they, they practice it, et cetera. So what we do is that we watch who chooses which activity to do. Like somebody's going to organize it. Okay, all right, you sit over here, you sit over here. All right, I've got the pen. Who's, who's writing it down? Then somebody starts to brainstorm and come up with like dozens of ideas. So this is the person, the big creative tiger. Like you can see them in action. And then the one person who wants to be in the front and they're acting it out, you can see their entertaining tiger is, is much bigger. So sometimes those sort of ac exercises or activities in workshop mode enable us to, to see that like on the spot, we can, we can pick up pretty quickly. But other than that, I would say um, it's a life practice. Just keep living your life and just keep checking your tigers out from time to time. That's for me, that's what the interesting thing is like, you know, going beyond just the, the tests and, and these activities and, and really getting down with them, making them part of your, part of your life. Can you spot the tigers now without any sort of assessment? Can you just on behaviors, characteristics, et cetera? Yes and no. Uh, yes, when I can see circumstances where the tigers are required. So in other words, like if it's when you're interacting with somebody face-to-face, -face, it's pretty obvious they're linguistic, um, they're entertaining, and they're interpersonal. Those come out right away. Like I can see just by how if somebody is very open and their their facial expressions are very absorbing, so the interpersonal is high, and you can tell somebody's entertaining just by what they're saying and their grasp on language. So those are ones that come out very, uh, very quickly. Ones that are a little bit more difficult to catch right away would be visual, because I would need to see you drawing something. I might see something in your background, like, you know, how you have things laid out or some sort of art or design. I, I might be able to induce from that or maybe how you're put together with your clothing. I, I could I can do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I suppose I'm in it all the time. So I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm doing it, I'm doing it quite a bit, but I, I'm also careful. Like I, sometimes I, it's like when I, when I'm with people, like I, I'm not doing that all the time. I'm, I'm like talking to real people when I'm talking and then, and then I, I sort of afterwards, I might have a reflection and say, oh yeah, that person's like, it seems like that uh, he's really healing. Like they, his healing tiger is a big one. And I felt that when I was talking, so. And, and in relationships, do you tend to find is there is there certain tigers that go well together and and sort of complement, and then certain certain ones that actually grate on each other for want of a better word, or dis disagree? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really really good question. Um, like there are two people I know who um, it's, what's really interesting. So the husband is highly naturalistic huge naturalistic tiger, loves to be in nature, plants, goes to the forest, you know, every, um, every week and does outings every, he, he'll, he just loves being outdoors as fish tank, all kinds of stuff like that. Right. Um, his wife, not so much. He's highly interpersonal. He loves to go out gregarious, talk with people, events and mix up with them. She's not interpersonal at all. And so one of the challenges that they have is when they go on vacations, you know, he wants to go to places where they're going to be outdoors. And, you know, he wants to go to like um, on a safari or, you know, he'll, he'll go to really far off places in, in like Siberia. And like, so, so um, she, she doesn't like that. She wants to go to cities and she wants to go to the opera and she wants to go shopping and like other sort of things. So 
it could be problematic for some people, but if you understand what your partner's, um, you know, natures are, then you'll be in a position to be able to make accommodations. So in his case, he does a number of his vacations by himself or with his male friends. And they'll also go on, you know, trips to Paris or wherever it is together. So, so, but sometimes she would also be accommodating as well. So she did go on a, um, you know, a, um, a mountain in, in, where was it in, I think it was in Congo. I forget where it was, where they went to, um, to see the mountain gorillas. So, you know, she went along. So sometimes they, they can also, uh, accommodate, but my belief is this, that I think it has to do a lot more with understanding the other person's, um, what the other person's tigers are and being accommodating about it. So, so that, that has a lot, that does have a lot to do with it. If you know, for example, that your spouse is, doesn't have a big providing tiger, but you're expecting them to care for you and to like cook for you and to do, do a lot of those sort of things. And they're not, but you know, you're going to be really frustrated as a, as a result of that. So. It's huge, isn't it? That is that, well, it doesn't sound, it's, it's like taking the time or understanding each other in a better way, just to, you know, reflecting on our habits, reflecting on, you know, what it is. So as you say, there's no reason why you can't be, you know, you can't be of service to each other because there can be um, just that aspect of, of saying, yeah, okay, listen, you know, I've had, I've been served and, and yeah, appreciate that and appreciate you, you, uh, being accommodated to that and I'm happy now to be of service you know vice versa right so whereas if you're just walking blindly and going god he never wants to do this or she never comes with me or whatever you don't know why you're battling it out you know so knowledge is kind of power right or understanding is power maybe yeah absolutely it's, it's about awareness it's about awareness and um pre and preparation just knowing what's going to what's coming down the the pipeline. So, you know, I see it with my wife. She, she loves, she's highly naturalistic. So she's got to like every day be outside. She's got plants all over the place. She takes care of them. And she knows that I have just such not the big naturalistic tiger. I could kill magic bamboo. I have killed magic bamboo. I'll admit it. So, so she also knows not, not to expect that, you know, I'm going to be watering plants just because like, it, it just drives me up the wall. There's other things that I'll do. I'm, I'm like happier to do those things. And, uh, you know, I'm not nearly as, there's another one, which is like dexterity. So like, I'm not really good at folding clothes. I just, for me, it's like the most, some people love it. It's for them. It's just like, you know, a meditative sort of thing. It's not that I'm lazy, but it's just like, I could try to fold a t-shirt like 20 times and I'll never get it right. And so I just like push it up and I'll put it, you know, back in, inside. Like, I, I don't care about that. Um, you know, uh, but for me, like if it's music and I have to do something, I want to make sure that everything that like my, my notes are quantized and everything is like really, you know, uh, the, the melodic lines and the, the harmonic lines and everything is all together. Like in that space, I have it all together. So um, yeah, like, so, so she'll still get frustrated about some of those things, but you know, that's love, right? We have to uh, bear with the, the differences uh, and, and find where the, the chemistry works. You know, also, Pete, I think like, if everything were were perfectly balanced, then life would be boring as hell. 
you know, part of the part of the fun in all of this is the fact that stuff is chaotic and we are we do have mismatches. Um, and and that's what adds to the, the spice of life. That's kind of what makes everything everything move. Um, and there's a there's a really nice I have I, there's a really nice analogy that that comes to mind when I'm saying this, which is um, you know the Stradivarius violins, right? So so Stradivarius um, was a producer of violins in in Italy, I think, in the 18th century, and his violins are you know the most um, highly sought after in, in the world because of their construction. And the sound of them is just something which is un, uh, unmatchable in any other violin that was ever created by, by anyone else. And they're not sure what the reason, they, well, they, at least they weren't sure for many years, like why that was. Was it the wood? Was it the resin? Uh, some people say that like, you know, there was something uh, e environmentally, you know, ecologically going on at that time that there was an excess of rain or there was a lack of rain and the wood got you know, particularly. So there are all, all these like, you know, competing theories about what it was. And I think it was maybe about six, seven years ago, I forget. They, they got a Stradivarius violin and they put it under some kind of, um, you know, some sort of x-ray machine and they looked in it. And what they found was that Stradivarius was actually putting in imperfections into the into the wood itself. Like it's not that it was perfectly symmetrical. He actually purposefully put in some some asymmetrical things in there. And what they understood is that when something is too symmetrical, it creates overtones that are unwanted. And we hear overtones, like for example, you know, you hear feedback in a microphone where you know you say something. And that sort of thing starts to go. Well, the same thing also can happen harmonically if everything is too harmonically, like you know, uh, um, symmetrical. And so he he put in this imperfection in order to cancel out some of those overtones, so the sound was actually better. So so what I'm saying here is that I don't know if this is like a divine, if it's a divine, uh, you know, um, uh, purposeful thing that that was put into human beings of of us being imperfect, but. Um, I, I certainly don't seek perfection, and I don't think being perfectly aligned is also a an ideal. I, I think ha us having our imperfections as individuals and also in our relationships adds to it, it. Actually, creates more more of those harmonies and helps us to avoid those overtones. When somebody's too perfect, like it's just not a good thing, or they're trying to be too perfect. Perfectly imperfect, right? Yeah. Probably pisses people off because it's like, how the hell do we, how do we replicate imperfection? <laughs> like, you know, if you, if you wanted to make, make a new violin, it's like, so it's not perfect, right? So how, how do we perfectly make it not nobody perfect? Nobody was, nobody was thinking about that. They're just trying to figure out how did he make it so perfect, right? <laughs> and he just figured, yeah, I'll just put in a little, you know, imperfection here. Well, it's sort of, it's the oyster analogy, right? You know, it's like, if the oyster doesn't have the grain of sand in it to make it imperfect, then there is no pearl. It's just, just an oyster. It's like, that's it. End of story, you know, and it takes, I suppose, and even in our own lives, it's that contrast to be able to see, you know, see what we are, you know. Um, it, it's so funny you mentioned about clothes because I'm I'm the same. My my wife, she's like, what do you call I can't remember the name of, you know, folding clothes. She, she kind of really got into that. So the compromise is I'll make sure they're all the right way. <laughs> so, anything that's inside out I'll, I'll put it the right way and then just have a stack 
a stack of tops, stack stack of trousers, stack of socks, and it's like, yeah, you go forward because like it speeds her up and stuff, you know. That's the best compromise we've come to. It's like she's like, I'll show you. It's like, no, no, please don't. I don't need to know. It's not benefiting my life in any way to be able to fold something, you know. So, oh yeah, it's beautiful. Celebrate who we are. So tell us how what what's the best way for people to actually sort of put this into action to to really sort of be able to understand more about themselves because i mean ultimately that's that's a lot what we're trying to do is understand ourselves i mean what would be the, the ideal way do you think for people to do that so i would say that there's like a quick or a short term step that you could take and then there's also a longer term approach that you can take so a short-term step would be like to do the, the assessment, the multiple natures test that we have. That will enable you to figure out which are the tigers. You could find out really quickly. It takes about 20 minutes and you could see the big, medium and small. And then you can also find out which careers or which tasks, which kind of activities, which leisure activities align with your natural propensity. And that's valuable, like I said, if you're a student trying to pick a career or you wanna make a career change or trying to, deal with burnout or you're you're frustrated or make any of those hiring decisions it's a tool that can be used at any of those points pretty rapidly so that's the that's the first side when you're taking that kind of decision but for the longer term what we're talking about is it's really more of a way of life of understanding what your tigers are and how to feed them on a regular basis in the same way as if you had a garden you know it's not like you you just get everything straight and you leave it after that you have to tend to it and you've got to understand the way different plants work and different seasons are coming so in the same way we have to understand that we are evolving as human beings we have our own understanding of ourselves is also evolving you and your own story you know when you were 37 you had a a turn of events that got you to you know suddenly you came into a new realization so we're constantly going through these phases and understanding. But the thing that doesn't change is our natures. You know, It's kind of like with all the chaos in the world that's going on around us, our natures are probably the most stable thing we have to hold on to. Kind of like when there's a boat and it gets like you know destroyed by a big wave and there's just like pieces of wood lying around. So you're just like hanging on to that wood so you don't sink. So in the same way, when, when, um, when, our lives are hit by some kind of a, you know, a, a massive wave and we feel like we're, we're really whacked. The best thing for us to hold on to is our tigers because they have been there since we're like seven years old and they're going to stay with us until the very end. So if we grab onto those and we keep learning about them slowly, you don't have to do this overnight. It, it, they're going to be with you for the rest of your life. Just keep making a relationship with them, get down with them, get to know them, try to figure out ways that you can position the bigger tigers more into your main part of your life, like you know your the part where you're working and earning your your daily bread, and if not there, then also into your part time activities or uh, into your hobbies. Just making sure that they get fed. You're going to keep changing. The world around you will keep changing. Tigers are going to be the same. So it's the art is how to get down with the tigers and just keep feeding them, so you keep that fire in the belly. Um, at the right level and the digestive the digestive power just keeps maintaining itself sustainably to me that's what it's all about that's the long-term part and our website and our programs and practitioners help people also do that so if people want they can also find out more about that give us a shout out on the website so people know where to go to properly sure feedyourtigers.com 
try to make it easy. So our company is Multiple Natures. We have a multiplenatures.com website, but if you remember feedyourtigers.com, that'll get you right there fast. Love it. Love it. Um, if, if you were to describe your fire in your belly in one or two words, what would they be, Stephen? The fire in my belly? For me, fire in my belly is... Um, Teach well. It's more than two words. If I if I can have a couple more words, if it's uh, I would say helping people to feed their tigers. That's it. That's what I'm here to do. Yeah. And um, what's your rock star name? My rock star name. Uh, actually, uh, my alter ego is is a uh, is a a reggae singer called Rudy Mon. Because when I was in college, I was in a reggae band, and they were all Jamaican guys, and they used to say, "Hey, Rudy Mon." So that was my that was my moniker, uh, and so I used to go by Rudy Mon. So, Didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it! I love it. Is yeah. there a final message you'd like to leave our listeners today? Message for the oh, world. Absolutely, message the message to you, my dear listener, uh, which is that you are okay. You have everything that you absolutely need right now there under your hood. Your tigers that developed up to age seven are all there at your fingertips. Don't worry about trying to become somebody that you're not because it's not possible. And it's so much easier for you just to be who you are. And it takes way less energy. When you got that down, you'll start to notice how easy things become. And in the Tao Te Ching, there's, there's a, a beautiful line. This is an ancient um, uh, book from China written by Lao Tzu, who said that the masters get the job done without lifting a finger. So this is what's called Wu Wei, or non-action, or better, I would say, uh, not forced action, but action which comes naturally. And that comes when you are aligned with your tigers and you align your tigers with the work that you do. Then you get what the ancients were talking about. So it's right there. So that's what my message is to use, to find your tigers, to align them, and um, feed your tigers before they eat you. Natural mastery. Love it. Yeah. It's beautiful. Stephen, it's been an absolute pleasure yeah. chatting to you today. It's, um, I've, learned, I've, I've learned Thanks, loads. Sir. It's been fun. It's, uh, you know, we... Exactly. we we learned we're not uh, closed folders. That's always a good thing. So, <laughs> there's so many things in the world. So yeah, listen, I, I thank you for the service you provide. I thank you for literally helping people to find their passion and, and who they are. It's it's, uh, it's an amazing service. So thank you for thanks, that. Thank thanks, you for being who you are. Appreciate it. Thanks. And thanks for what you're doing. It's, it's an amazing, amazing thing that, that you've got going on. Thank you. thank you. Until the next time. Take care. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So, all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly, and be the mightiest version of you. 